0: This is Killian from Rest Reflections. Welcome to At Work, our fortnightly podcast on all things inequality, injustice and oppression in the workplace. And as always, I would like to invite your questions, your queries, your dilemmas. Perhaps you would like us to dedicate something in space to a particular issue. Perhaps you are facing a challenge that could do with a little bit of thinking together. Perhaps you are simply curious about something that you have come across or something that you have read and would like our perspective on it. Please feel free to get in touch by email using at work at restreflections.co.uk or contact at restreflections.co.uk. We have received a request for a particular topic and the query was, how do we support ourselves when we are the only person of colour within a particular space? I think in the case of the person who asked us the question, it was a black senior manager. And so I thought we spent a little bit of time thinking about the issues of being the only one. Before we get into thinking about issues of support and what people can do, let us think a little bit about some of the challenges that can be associated with being the only one. This is something that we have implicitly spoken about in various podcast when we address, for example, issues to do with scapegoating and issues to do with location of disturbance. And of course, it's going to be relevant when we think about issues of exclusion and marginalisation at large. So there might be a little bit of overlap, but I will try not to repeat myself too much. So what are the internal, we might say, psychological challenges that people will find themselves being the only black person, the only brown person? We are again going to focus on race, but there might well be a lot of similarities with other marginalised groups. So I'm going to first of all put my card on the table and say I've been there, I'm still there, in most places that I'd All, but the overwhelming majority of spaces where I work, where I study, where I train even, I tend to be the only black person. And if I'm not the only black person, I am certainly the only black woman. And often I am simply the only person of color full stuff. So that means there's no brown people and there is no other black people in the space. To some degree, I've kind of got used to it. But I think what helps me is the fact that I have other spaces, and that might become important when it comes to thinking about issues of support. I have other spaces, such as the Race Reflections community. As some of you know, possibly all of you know, I am quite active on Twitter particularly. And so I connect with other marginalized scholars and other people would do what I do, and kind of think the way that I think more or less. And so I've always maintained those connections, even if it means sometimes they have to be online. I did want to say that I have that experience because I'm going to be speaking a little bit from what I know from kind of empirical evidence, my clinical experience, but also my lived experience. So what are some of the issues? Often when we are the only black person in particular, but I think very similar if you are the only brown person, we are going to feel a sense often of either being treated or treating ourselves as a spokesperson or a representative of a particular class of people. It might be black people, it might be brown people, it might be black women, it might be Muslim people, whatever. So there is a lot of pressure that can be put on our shoulders or that we can put on our shoulders in order to, To quote unquote represent. Now, of course, that is a fallacy in that no one person can ever be a representative of their race or their ethnic group. But we do know that when it comes to racialization, when it comes to racism, there is often the tendency to treat black and brown bodies as being representative of a whole class of people, which is not a dynamic that is often used when it comes to white people. So white person in a particular space is rarely expected to be a representative of white people. And that's why when we have, say, atrocities or crimes or anything on toward that happened in society, the expectation is that all black people need to apologise, all black people need to provide some kind of justification, some kind of distancing for the act that has been committed by a single individual. Now, we've never seen the reverse be in operation when it comes to white people, right? So nobody expects white people to speak on behalf of other white people, to be representative of white people at large, or to apologise for acts of criminality, injustice and atrocities that are committed by other white people. So that pressure of being treated as a representative of a particular class of people is real. And it is, of course, something that we can also put on our own shoulders. So the issue of, we might say, representative, it's not a term that I use very comfortably. But, you know, for the time being, let us use it. Another challenge that can present, which is related to that, is feeling isolated, quite simply. So one might feel that they cannot find people in their environment, that they can be authentic around, that they can speak of their lived reality, and they can simply be themselves. And so there is perhaps a lot more pressure to hide certain part of ourself or to assimilate sometimes linked to the first issue, but sometimes simply because it might feel unsafe to be ourselves in this space. And that takes us to, I guess, what I've kind of hinted to and that we've spoken about in previous podcasts, which is the risk of being scapegoated. So we're talking here around, you know, group dynamics, group processes that can be set into motion, that are high risk, in fact, when one person is what we might call, called in group analysis, isolate. So here... Is the link between isolation, being an isolate. Isolate is simply being the only one of a particular demographic group. So that might set into motion issues of hyper visibility as well as issues of invisibility. But what that often means is that when stress gets higher within a particular context, when there is a significant level of organisational trauma or distress because, say, there's been lots of change because, same people are being laid off, then there is a tendency for the person who find themselves in the position of being an isolate to almost kind of attract the disturbance almost as though the group is going to be looking for a person onto which, to load their distress, their anguish, any negative feelings, often that they cannot direct directly at people in position of authority or power. And so that places the isolate at high risk when it comes to exclusion and when it comes to group processes that are quite violent. So that is also a common experience. And the final thing, I guess, that might be worth thinking about is the risk of being used as the token. So you're the token black person, you're the token brown person, even though the organization, the institution, the department might struggle when it comes to recruiting in a way that is more representative or when it comes to being accessible to a particular group, you find yourself as being a representative of this group. And so here you are, you find yourself being invited to speak on issues of representation, perhaps you even find your face on brochures, on commercial to create an illusion, the impression that the organization is welcoming to people that look like you. Of course, if it was, you wouldn't be the only one in the first place, but nonetheless, for people who might be quite short-sighted, there might be that it is a good strategy to use you as an example, as an illustration of diversity. So those are some of the issues, some of the challenges linked to that, perhaps if I might ask, issues of internalised racism. And so this is really to do with when we might say introject, we might say internalize, we might say adopt kind of negative expectations, prejudice I guess we might even say value judgment around a particular group that we belong to I tend not to myself be a huge fan of the expression internalized racism maybe we'll cover that in the next podcast simply because it creates the impression that only people of color are at the receiving end and therefore digesting swallowing internalizing racism which of course it's again is All of us internalise racism. But for people of colour, then it means internalising beliefs, attitudes, worldview that are incompatible with self-regard and self-love and self-esteem. And that can lead to issues to do with a sense of inferiority, a sense of not being good enough. So that might manifest in in imposterism, for example. So all those kind of issues are going to be at risk of being activated when we are the only person of colour within a particular space. So what can be done if we find ourselves in this situation? Again, I started quite openly saying that I've had this experience, continue to have this experience. I find it more tolerable than I used to. And as I said at the start of the podcast, this is partly to do with being quite active and being quite deliberate in building those spaces, in building those networks where I feel I could be seen, where I could be myself, where I could be authentic, where I could be seen, where I could be heard, where I could be understood without actually trying to fold myself or contortion myself into something that I am not naturally, which is quite exhausting at the end of the day. So I think it's important that we try, that you try, if you find yourself in this situation, to think about where might be your network. And if it don't exist, which, you know, I mean, it's unlikely, but it is possible, if those uh, network don't exist in your community, perhaps in other department, perhaps in the other sector uh, online, that you think about how you might create them, how you might get out of your way to create those communities, to create those network, and to foster them. So that would be one way to support oneself, to think about support very, very actively. And deliberately around community building and community sustaining. That is number one. Related to that, I might say, think about mentorship. Think about people who perhaps have walked through where you've walked through, perhaps survived. Perhaps they come from a slightly different field of activities and perhaps they're completely different, but there's something in them, in their history, in their background, in their professional profile that you think you could learn from please don't hesitate to contact people, ask them whether they would consider mentoring you. In my experience, people tend to be quite flattered to be asked. And when they refuse to request, it is usually because of capacity. Rarely they do so in a hostile manner. And even if they don't mentor you, if they know that there isn't it, most people would want to kind of check on you or to keep some kind of relationship going. Or at least that is someone else that you might have on your list of contact. So don't hesitate to reach out to people and say, hey, this is what I do, where I work. My work involves this, that, and the other. I've seen that in your profile. You have done this, that, and the other. I really look up to your achievement. Try to be as specific as possible and say that you would be honoured if they would consider mentoring you. Another piece of advice in relation to those kind of requests is to be as precise as you can in relation to your demand. I know in a first introductory email, you don't want to overwhelm people by giving too much information and sending pages and pages of stuff. As an aside, right in between bracket, this is one of my pet hate. When people send me pages and pages of email, I find it quite unkind and inconsiderate and usually I don't respond. So please try to keep it brief and precise to the point when you send an email, considering that you are emailing people who are quite busy to start with and often quite senior. So you want to try to be as concise as possible. So solution number two, seek mentors that you can learn from that can offer you if only a space to think, a space to consider navigational strategies. Another thing that I might suggest, and that's more organisationally is for your institution to be conscious that having one black person, one brown person, the only disabled person, the only trans person are high risk position. And so because they're high risk position, they are position that must be risk assessed or at least monitored. So it's important that you continue to have conversation with those individuals, make sure that they're doing okay. But in order for people to be open, they need to trust you. Of course, nobody is going to talk to you about what it is like to be the only black or brown body at board level if they don't trust you. That doesn't mean that there is no challenge. Let me just say that again. Just because people tell you that they're not experiencing any particular challenge, that doesn't mean that they're not experiencing particular challenges, right? In my experience, the challenges that people of colour experience in the workplace are often not aired, right? Because people do not want to be evaluated negatively, because people do not feel safe, because people do not feel that they might be understood or the concern will be treated seriously. Or simply, like I said, in my own experience, you just get on with it because you have been in this position for so long that you become a little bit numbed or habituated to the challenges, but simply because you're habituated to a difficult or even adverse experience or context doesn't mean that there isn't a cost to your body and to your mental health. So it's important that you think very proactively around actually as an organization, what can you do to provide this support? And that might well include, as we've seen in other podcasts, supporting the creation of of race-specific network, supporting, mentoring, providing a budget for coaching and ensuring, of course, that you do all that you can do to recruit people so that the organisation can be As diverse, I hate the term, but I can't think of a better one right now. As representative, I hate that term too. And I can't think of a better one right now. But you get where I'm trying to get at, which is an organisation where ideally you can have more than one disabled person, more than one person of colour, etc, etc. And so that is it that is it people I don't know if that's been very basic let me know I think about this stuff all the time so I never quite know whether I'm pitching it too high or too low a lot of the time I think I'm pitching quite low and people tell me it was helpful but please tell me if I'm pitching it low and you think okay that's quite elementary let me know bearing in mind that this is for a general broad audience not necessarily people who are professional and do the kind of work that we do which would know of course a lot more about this stuff okay well I hope that this episode has been helpful to think about self-care when being the only particular body, let's say, in a particular space. And so as always, until next time, please take care.